Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, the smarky, annoying and condescending Lee Carlos Cunningham, and in case you can't tell, I'm replying to the podcast's first ever one-star review. I am, of course, a big proponent of freedom of speech, so if you hate the show, do feel free to say so, I can't stop you. But for one Mr. Spencer hand, I have to say, there's nothing more smarky than saying, I've got no problem with marks, but smarks are really annoying. Distinguishing between the two kind of makes you a smart, so just putting that one out there. And also, you say the condescending host uh, needs to be more objective and less hyperbolic, but you're going to give me a few more listens to see how I go. Eh, feel free not to, honestly. It's not that big of a deal to me. Um, if you only listen to one episode and you left me that review, probably not going to be friends anytime soon. Anywho, skipping on past that, we're episode 32 here, and we're looking at the January 15 episodes of Raw and Nitro. Raw drew a 2.4 to Nitro 3.5, so walloped in the ratings there, and we're on the go-home to both the 1996 Royal Rumble and the January 96 Clash of the Champions. Stay tuned for that episode upcoming, because it will feature longtime friend of the podcast, Carl Grice, who is an excellent um, bit of a podcast connoisseur, so from all my podcast friends out there, do feel free to look him up on Twitter. He'll give you some really good tips and advice when it comes to your show, because he listens to a whole lot of them, and he'll be joining us with his insight on the next episode here in this timeline. Prior to that, we'll be stepping back into the TNA versus WWE War of 2010. Myself and the non-Triple H mark from then now whatever podcast, Duncan Joyce, will be chopping that one up and look forward to some more 80s goodness with myself and Richie in the future as well. But that'll do it for the coming attractions. For now, we're on Raw and Nitro. I'm flying solo and we watch Raw first. So we're going to head over there and see whether or not that hiding they copped in the ratings was truly deserved. Raw opens up with a bit of a tribute video to Martin Luther King. Uh, it is MLK Day over in America at this point in time. And the opening video tells us that we're going to see features on the Royal Rumble, Sonny, The Undertaker, Goldust's feelings being outed on Razor Ramon, and some more Billionaire Ted. So it sounds like a cracking show all around as we go into the Raw opening video. Coming back from that, we're up to our first match, which is going to be Marty Jannetty up against Owen Hart. So this should be a decent one here, two guys that I really enjoy. We lock up, and when we get started, Marty Jannetty starts off with a nice arm drag, a monkey flip, and a Japanese arm drag. Before they break down into a little bit of a brawl, a bit of a slugfest in the middle, Marty Jannetty pops out of that with a clothesline for a two count, before locking on a chin lock to slow the pace down a little bit. Owen Hart gets on the offense with a nice belly-to-belly suplex, a backbreaker, and an enziguri also earning himself a two-count. A standing drop kick before Gennetti comes back with a clothesline. Owen Hart comes back with a gut-wrench suplex for a two. And Marty Gennetti hits a variation of the X-Factor, followed by Diamond Dust and a Power Slam, and clotheslines Owen Hart over the top rope. When Owen gets back into the ring, we go into a series of pins and pin reversals, which Owen Hart ends up getting the best of, coming out of it with a pin with a bridge for the one, two, and the three, picking up the win in a decent but a little bit too short opener here on Raw. From there, we head over to Todd Pettengale for his Royal Rumble report, and then we hear Doc Hendricks say that Razor Ramon is coming for Gold Dust, so this should be a good one. And then we go to a commercial, and when we come back, it's time for our second matchup, which is the ringmaster, Steve Austin, up against Matt Hardy. You heard it right. Before he was Matt Hardy, before he was Matt Hardy version 1, it's version 0.01, Matt Hardy the jobber. 
and they start off, we work a headlock with Austin in control here, nice and easily, before he goes to a Luthez press. But Matt Hardy does hit a nice standing sunset flip for a two count, before Austin fires back with a forearm and a backdrop, and pounds away on Matt Hardy in the corner. He hits a couple of knee drops, followed by a gourd buster, and we get a little bit of quick back and forth, Austin allowing Matt Hardy some offense here, before he hits him with a stun gun, and locks in the million dollar dream for the the victory here. Um, decent little showcase for Austin, and Matt Hardy was a, a decent level enhancement talent before they became big name players in the Fed, so this was nice to see, and I always do it get a little bit of a kick out of seeing the famous guys earlier on in their career before they were named guys. Um, by my count now, we've seen Matt Hardy, we've seen Rhino, uh, we've seen quite a few different guys, so that's pretty cool. From there, we go to a bit of a hype video for Shawn Michaels. He gets in the line that he was beaten up by nine thugs in Syracuse, New York, but nothing special here before we go to the next commercial break. And when we come back, we join a match in progress, which is a little bit strange. It's the Smoking Guns up against the Spiders. No, I've never heard of the Spiders either, but the crowd are into them because we get a Let's Go Spiders chant early on here before Billy hits a rocker dropper and Bart hits a couple of clotheslines, a drop kick, and they go to the sidewinder finish for the one, two, three, and a bit of a nothing squash match, which we didn't even get to hear entrances for, so nothing much doing here. From there, though, we do pick up business a little bit as we head over to Billionaire Ted's Wrestling War Room. I bought myself a network. I bought myself a World Series. I bought myself a library of classic movies. Heck, I even colorized a few of them. So why can't I buy the WWF? We've been trying, Ted. Then how come their wrestling is still better than ours? They've got better athletes. All we've got are their disloyal, greedy has-beens from the 80s. Who you calling a has-been, brother? Can't blame a guy for trying to con a... Make a buck! Who you calling disloyal? Besides, I started in the 70s, not the 80s. Well, go out there and buy me some of those, uh, those WWF Generation superstars. The new WWF Generation. It's not for sale. Uh, Huckster, uh, what if we called you the, the, the boy toy? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So there you have it. These things don't seem to be getting any better. I do get a little bit of a kick. I know you can't see it here on the podcast, but when you watch these, the, the Huckster guy just doing the thumbs up randomly every couple of seconds always makes me laugh. Um, it was a little bit petty, but hey, it is what it is. They're going to fight the war somehow. From here, we go to Goldust in the ring with Vince McMahon, who does a really good job looking unsettled when Goldust touches him and comes near him, but he is looking more and more like the Mr. McMahon character in his suit, big shoulders, looking huge in the ring. Goldust asks Vince, is that a mic in your pants or are you just happy to see me? Which Vince takes obvious discomfort with. Uh, he hits on Razor Ramon via Vince McMahon as Vince looks like he's throwing up in his mouth as we go along here. Jerry Lawler hits a lighter than height when he says, Goldust is here, he might be queer, get used to it. And from there, we sort of peter out the segment, go to a commercial break, and we get a little bit of a rundown tease of the upcoming Undertaker Bret Hart match at the Royal Rumble. Coming out of the commercial break, we see the arrival of Razor Ramon, and he's well and truly pissed off on the warpath looking for gold dust. And we go into our main event match of the evening, Isaac Yankum up against The Undertaker, in a match that's not quite as epic as their WrestleMania 14 encounter, but still exciting to watch this in its early carnation before they got to that big rivalry. Before the match can get underway, Lawler at ringside gives a bit of a pep talk to Isaac Yankum, who looks nervous about the impending arrival of the Phenom. 
and then Undertaker comes down and it does nothing to quench his fear. Undertaker dominates the early parts of the match with strikes, a clothesline, and a slam, while Vince McMahon does a great job on commentary hyping the upcoming Bret Hart Undertaker match and selling the Undertaker as Bret's biggest task. Yankin manages to avoid a tombstone and escape to the outside of the ring where they brawl a little bit. Undertaker chokes and pounds on him, and it gives us a great glimpse of a guy in the crowd wearing a Mortal Kombat t-shirt, so that brightened up this spot as well. Lawler tries to get onto the Undertaker, get the urn from Paul Bearer, sorry, the urn slash chain, it's not really an urn anymore. But Undertaker comes over and stalks Lawler to keep him away from Paul Bearer. This allows Yankum to get on the attack and throws Undertaker to the post as we go to a commercial break. We come back in and he's working a half Boston Crab, which he gets up off and works a bear hug before Undertaker fights back with a back suplex. On commentary, Vince, still disturbed by the earlier segment, tells us all, Goldust certainly does not represent the gay community. Good to know, Vince. And then we get The Undertaker working over Yankin with a power slam, a couple of elbows, and then he blocks a slam of his own before putting Yankin up for the tombstone and the one, two, three. Not a bad main event, nothing to write home about, but Undertaker is transitioning out of the zombie into the guy that wrestles a little bit quicker pace, and it gets better from here. Backstage, Doc Hendricks is with Goldust, who appears to have a big potato down the um, crotch area of his bodysuit as Razor Ramon comes into screen and beats the shit out of him. Uh, he's going nuts as referees try to break it up. Kyoto falls into a cardboard box, which is quite amusing, and then Goldust fights back with a low blow, sending us to a commercial break. When we come back, we see Sonny in a bath for no apparent reason. Before seeing a replay of the Razor Ramon Goldust segment from before, get told next week we'll see Goldust up against Bret Hart, which I'm actually quite excited for. And then we get some more Razor Ramon Goldust brawling. Um, they fight outside the door into the snow before Goldust manages to deck Razor and escape, speeding away into a car that Razor throws a trash can through the back windshield of. Overall, not the most noteworthy episode of Raw, but quite a few points that had my interest, um, some good storyline advancement, and a decent go-home show for the Rumble, though we probably could have used Brett or Sean or even Diesel on the show to try and help sell the pay-per-view really well and truly. But that'll do it for Raw. We'll head over and see what Nitro's got to offer and see if they were worthy of that big win. Mongo has Pepe with him as usual, who's just wearing a hat. They don't really play up the outfit this week. And we get a bit of a rundown of the card to some overwhelming weasel chants from the crowd behind. So pretty pumped up for this one. And we open up with a pretty star-studded match to begin with as well. Macho Man Randy Savage up against Lex Luger. From the off, we're told that Macho Man will get a title shot up against the winner of this evening's title match, Sting and Ric Flair. And um, this allows the commentators to put over the rivalry that's been going on between Macho, Hulk and Sting with Lex Luger in and out of the good side, and also the um, issues around the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen. 
Early on in the match, Lex Luger tosses Macho Man over the outside to the top, uh, over the top rope to the outside. Sorry, and we go out for some brawling backwards and forwards between the two. Macho Man eventually sends Lex Luger into the steps, and when they come back in, Macho Man goes to the top rope for an axe handle, which garners him a two count. We get some Luger chance from the crowd, which is a little bit strange because he's definitely playing the heel here. And Macho Man hits a back elbow for a two count before Luger begs off, but Macho goes all over him with strikes and chokes, which the referee has to try and interrupt and stop Savage going wild. Lex comes back with an eye rake and gets back in control with a series of three elbow drops for a two count. Before Macho Man drops Lex Luger throat first on the rope, goes up top for his patented flying elbow, but when he gets there he misses. Luger gets him up in the rack and clean as a whistle. The referee lifts, lifts Macho Man's arm three times and Luger gets the juke. So a bit of an interesting booking decision here. Macho has got the upcoming title match, but Luger gets a clean win. I mean, in a way, it's keeping all your challenges strong and heating up the main event scene, but I couldn't see the Hulkster doing this, could you? From there, we go to a commercial break. When we come back, the Dungeon of Doom and Four Horsemen come out together, which is odd because they were scheduled for a match, uh, two of the Dungeon members up against two of the Horsemen members, and I notice a one-man gang is now with them and carrying the United States title, so that must have been a um, Saturday night thing, because I don't recall him appearing on Nitro as of yet. Arn Anderson says there's no financial gain to them fighting. Oh, sorry, Mint Jean's out there interviewing them, of course. And then Kevin Sullivan says that Ric Flair's probably the best ever, and he respects him, so he can use the giant at the Clash of the Champions, to which Flair uh, styles and profiles and slaps hands with them. Kevin Sullivan then says he respects Arn and the Four Horsemen, but not Brian Pillman, who he calls a punk and says he isn't horseman material. Arn Anderson begins sticking up for Pillman, but, who, but when Pillman runs his mouth in the direction of Sullivan, Arn turns around and gives him a nasty slap. So definitely some seeds of this loose cannon character coming out here. Um, most of you know where it ends up, but it's very interesting watching the week by week. That does it for the segment, and we've got a bit of an unholy alliance between the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom. When we come back, it's time for the American Males up against the Public Enemy. So there you go. We get big ECW chants early on as well. Everyone knows where these guys have come from. And the Public Enemy are wearing some pretty cool jackets. Uh, red jackets almost with like a Canadian symbol on them. But on the back of one says Naughty by Nature and on the other it says Violent by Design. Public Enemy jump the American Males early but eat a pair of backdrops. They get clotheslined over the top rope and on the floor they yell, Where the big boys play? Which is a little bit weird. There's an outside brawl going on. Buff um, body presses over the ropes to both of the public enemy. Before we get a double drop kick by the two American males, public enemy take over on Scotty Riggs, um, who keeps trying to get the tag to Bagwell, but he's not getting uh, too close, and there's not a lot of crowd heat for this one either, other than the ECW champ, which starts back up again. Bagwell hits a sloppy roll-up, and then Riggs comes in, um, distracts the referee, while public enemy nail Buff and hit a pretty awful roll-up of their own for the one, two, and the three in a very lackluster match. I was excited to see Public Enemy, but this one ended up being a bit of a clusterfuck, if I'm being honest. Um, what doesn't end up being a disappointment is the after-the-match shenanigans. Public Enemy immediately go and grab two tables and initially set them up side by side, but then put one on top of the other. They then put Bagwell on top of the tables and one of the public enemy gets on the top rope and does a somersault senton from the inside to the outside through two tables. Holy shit, that was amazing. Um, that was just absolutely awesome as a spot. It made no sense to do it after a throwaway match like this, but fuck, it was awesome. 
Mongo, of course, sells the absolute serious nature of this spot by asking the other commentators if Public Enemy have to pay for the usage of those tables. Um, but what can you say? It was an incredible sight. If you've not seen this spot, definitely go and watch it. It's awesome. From there, we go to a commercial for the Clash of the Champions, and it pretty much just features what's going to be a marriage maiden, and they can't decide hell or heaven, and they just say a marriage of Sherry Martell and Colonel Robert Parker. So interesting that that's the way they're selling the show. Um, it does get a little bit of hype later on in this show, though, so I won't carry on about that too much. From there, though, business is definitely about to pick up as we go to our World Heavyweight title match, Sting challenging the champion, Ric Flair. A bit of a strange one that this isn't the main event, but as uh, Bruce Pritchard says on his show, Hogan must pose, I guess. Uh, early on, Sting no-sells Flair with a few chops and strikes and whatnot. They exchange woos, and um, Sting then comes back with some punches, a hip toss, a drop kick, and it wouldn't be a Flair Sting match without a big press slam. Flair then takes his corner bump and running down the apron eats a clothesline before Sting hits a vertical suplex but only garners himself a one count. Uh, I should mention at this point as well, Jimmy Hart is ringside with Ric Flair, who then comes back with an eye rake and some chops. Eric Bischoff name drops Sylvester Stallone, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, etc. as all loving Nitro. A Sting hits a superplex and then goes for a splash off the ropes, but Flair gets his knees up as we take a break for a super brawl ad. Flair comes back with a couple of knee drops when we get back to the action, before Sting fires back with a clothesline and they trade blows, resulting in a Ric Flair. Flair flop. Sting misses a drop kick, which allows Flair to attempt a figure four, but Sting fires back with a small package for a two, a backslide for a two, and he pulls down the pants of Ric Flair, which garners some big crowd heat on a sunset flip attempt, comes back with a press slam as the crowd starts to really warm up, presses Ric Flair off the top rope, then hits a fourth press slam for the match before Lex Luger comes out to pull Jimmy Hart off the apron, grabs a megaphone out of his hand at a pretty inconvenient time as Sting's coming to the corner for a Stinger splash, and this nails Sting, who's knocked out cold. Flair puts on the figure four, gaining the win and retaining his World Heavyweight Championship, which brings out Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man to run off Jimmy Hart, Ric Flair, and Lex Luger before going into a little bit of a bonkers promo. Very much just staying back on his. I cannot believe what just happened here. If anybody would know what Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger are capable of, these two men would. The Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan with the big week ahead of us. How are we going to sort all of this out? Well, you know something, brother. Hopefully now, Stinger, something happened. Maybe the sense got knocked into you, brother. A couple weeks ago, man. Look at me when I'm talking to you. He held you down. When you were trying to climb in the ring, you had your title shot. Luger pulled it away from you. Tonight, brother, you could have been the WCW Heavyweight Champion. And once again, your good friend Luger, where's the belt, brother? I'll make it, I'll make it sweeter than that. I told you from day one, you couldn't trust Luger. Brother, you're dying by it, man. Wake up! You understand that? All right, uh, the Macho Man's emotions running very high sting. Uh, what, are you, what are you talking about? I'm telling you, Lex Luger is the reason you lost that match tonight, brother. Tonight? Lex Luger knocked you out, man. Tonight, Luger? Tonight, Luger knocked you out. Do you remember what happened at all, Sting? We've no. got it on videotape. We You're saying Luger did this? Luger did it, brother. Did it, Luger brother. did it. Well, I'm going to go get Luger in here for the horse's mouth then. I want to know for sure. 
From there, Macho Man and Rand, uh, Macho Man and Randy Savage, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan debate who should be the world's heavyweight champion, and we go to our final commercial break of the evening with a bit of an outro looking at this week's Saturday Night, which will feature Hulk Hogan, Harlem Heat defending their tag titles against Sting and Lex Luger if they can stay on the same page, and an interview with Jim Belushi, so it could be a decent show, that one. We come to our main event, which is Hulk Hogan up against Meng from the Dungeon of Doom. Meng gets on the offense early, with Kevin Sullivan also out there getting his licks in on the Hulkster. Lots of chops and chokes from Meng, who's in complete control in the early stages. Maybe Hulk Hogan's changing his ways and he's going to let his opponents get more offense in, but time will tell. Meng hits a nice slam, but misses a top rope headbutt. Hogan comes back with an eye rake, some clotheslines and punches before getting caught with the dreaded spike for the two count. Hulk then hulks up, as the crowd doesn't really give a shit. They're pretty dead here. Before Macho Man comes out, grabs Kevin Sullivan. Hulk grabs the dreaded spike from Kevin Sullivan, nails Meng, tucks it away in Meng's tights, and gets the one, two, three. And we get to see the whole thing over again with the 1-800-collect replay. Bit of a nothing main event. Typical Hogan match here, where he sells a little bit early, takes the finisher, pops right up, hulks up, and gets the win. Doesn't do much to sell me on watching the Clash of the Champions, but I've not got to pay for that anyway, so I suppose they can't really have that held against them. And it was a bit strange to not have the heavyweight title match end the show, but again, Hulk's got to go on last, so it is what it is. Uh, we won't let that take away from the show as a whole as we head over to pick our winner for the evening. We're going to start with Crowd Heat this week, and for this one I'm going to go with WCW. Both shows really had a bit of a lacklustre crowd on the night. Um... The ironic we uh, let's go spiders chant really summed up the WWF crowd, but at least Flair and Sting got the crowd into it for their match. And there was, while they were behind Luger and Macho a little bit more evenly than I would expect, they were into that match as well. So WCW, sorry, takes a duke in the first category. Production value, I'm going to go with Raw because it, seemed to head a little bit down that grimy, gritty direction that it was meant to always be and did become successful within the Attitude Era, particularly um, coming in and out of the gold dust and razor remote segments and ending with an outside brawl, some shots in the snow, and it really had a grittier edge to it than Nitro did on this night. Nitro as well ended with a bit of a whimper, but also replayed a lot of that whimper uh, to fill up time at the end, so production value definitely went with the WWF this time, splitting them at one apiece. Characters, I went with WCW because they got most of their main event crew on the show, as well as the Horsemen and the Dungeon of Doom, whereas the WWF, conspicuous by their absence, and not yet debuted Vader. We didn't have Yoko Zuna, we didn't have Bret Hart, we didn't have Shawn Michaels, we didn't have Diesel. There was a lot of big names missing, so I went with WCW on this one. Storylines was a little bit tougher. But again, I went with WCW because whilst they're not the best storylines in the world, this whole alliance to end Hulkamania, as it will become known soon enough, is advancing along. And a lot of the WWF guys didn't really advance his stories, bar Goldust and Razor. Um, everything on Nitro seemed to point in a new direction, except for maybe the public enemy um, heading into a certain direction, I should say, rather than a new direction. It did seem to keep the trend going, whereas on Raw... The Undertaker, Isaac Yankin, was pretty much the end of a little mini-story, and the opening contest didn't do anything to advance anything either, so I'm going to go with WCW. Which takes us to our last category, which is match quality, and definitely has to be WCW on this night for Ric Flair and Sting alone. Although, I have to say, Macho Man and Lex Luger wasn't too bad either, but Flair and Sting, if you've got that on the show and Raw didn't really have anything to compete with, makes WCW the resounding winner, and in my opinion, well worthy of their big ratings win on the night as well. 
So that'll do it for this episode. Another short and sweet Raw versus Nitro to get everybody tied over until we get the next big show out, which should be coming later in the week. And then quite a host of different things coming up in the in the next few weeks, as I mentioned earlier as well. If you'd like to help out the show, leave us a five-star review and combat that one-star one we got this week. Uh, interact with us on Twitter and Facebook or drop us an email at rawisnitro at hotmail.com. Sorry, RoryIsNitroPod at Hotmail.com, I believe it is. Uh, better check that one and get back to you. Um, other than that, catch us on Twitter on 4CR. And I will speak to you all again in the very near future. Thank you for listening. Man, you motherfuckers don't know nothing about no time. <laughs> That's right. That's right, boy. Start that shit on. I heard rumor I died, murdered in cold blood, traumatized. Pictures of me in my final state, you know mama cry. But that was fiction. Some cattle got the story twisted. Like I no longer existed, mysteriously missing. Although I'm worldwide, baby, I ain't hard to find. Why I spend most of my time, my California grind. Watching for thieving, I'm cautious, it's like I'm barely breathing. Putting a bullet in motherfuckers, give me the reason. See me in hope, I'm intoxicated or slightly faded. You tried to play me, now homicide's my only payment. I'm addicted to Kevin singing this life I leave. Why the fuck you caps be running? Too scared to fight a G. For the life of me, I cannot see how motherfuckers picture living life after a night of fucking around with me. And if you don't like this rhyme, then bring your big bad ass to California. Cause we ain't hard to find. Influenced by crime, addicted to grinding. I can pop my chips. And niggas call me a time. I've been balling since my adolescent years, steady climbing. Motherfuckers don't know nothing about no timing. <laughs> Watching pause as I pull my strap out my drawers and get the dumping on the ass like the last outlaw. Rich to rock in the click, smoking blunt, low clips with enough shit to raise your block in one dip. We bring on hard like tails from the grip, and we ain't hard to find, it's the tails that we kick. I'm fully automatic, photostatic and shit. Never dodge van, 50 rounds in the clip. I'm riding shotgun with the tent in the back. I plan to have a motherfucking mint in this rap. I'm from the well, selling narcotics is all I know I got blow speed, weed, whatever your kind And if you need a motherfucker, I ain't hard to find Some may call me Bootsy, but I call it time That's why I keep on grinding To the point where a nigga can't stop Too much feeling this shit, that's why I'm quick to pill a bitch Relish a nigga, oh, I hope, I hope Get in my way, then that ass got to go Cause a nigga steady plotting I serves hit for hit And motherfuckers keep dropping Influenced by crime Addicted to grinding I can pop on my chips And niggas call me a time I've been born since my adolescent years Steady plotting Man, you motherfuckers don't know nothing about no timing Down the steps, a band of broken down apartment complex. Heavy metal whips they carry, can't be scary. Playboy, what the fuck is a proof without the trauma plate? Nigga, what the fuck you got a gun for if you gon' hesitate? 
Best shake and bake Although I was fist to ass niggas Motherfuckers didn't think I was gonna do something ass niggas Threaten your life Ain't like you love him Bury your thoughts Check Take us out. here Fuck him Have at him I grew up with that nigga Threw up with that nigga I hear he trying to ride Double agent for the other side But now My Glock be so judgmental Backseat of a rental Keep my name out your dental Nigga If your gun bleeding And you bleeding More than 20 stitches You behave like them bitches I'm sideways to the next Heavy in the game Check the resident It's all the same and we ain't hard to find. The whole click of lace. Uh uh. Motherfucker, hard to find. We're in here. Yeah, we are hot. A lot of niggas acting like they can't find us, like, like they can't see us. And, like, we don't be at the same spots they be at. It's the same congregation. I mean, you can see the way when he see you and shit. It's a celebration. Guess who's back? Young Pac is back. Hey, you shot niggas. Can we get paid, man? Oh, my goodness. We got some more. Can we just get out this shit up, please? Hey, we smoking. And we ain't hard to find. Drinking this shit. Sideways to the next light and to the next coast. Popping the motherfucking motion.